Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get when Kevin's already up, man. He's like, uh, this is like a family. Whoever's up first gets, gets the Bibles for everybody else. <laughs> so 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, once you're there, why don't you stand with me and we're going to dive right into the scriptures. Been going verse by verse through the book of 2 Timothy. We're talking about legacy, what it means to live a godly legacy, to leave the gospel legacy behind. And Paul passing the baton of ministry down to Timothy. Paul's in prison as he writes this, and he's, he's instructing Timothy to take serious his calling and to continue to further the gospel and to pass it down to others so that they can too take that mantle and live out that same legacy that Paul has been living for him. We are in chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 14 where it says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent battle, for it is for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have served, swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. These four verses, and just, the, just packed full of life-changing truth. So we ask you, Lord, not to miss it this morning. We know you want to say something to us, Lord. Uh, this is not an event that we show up to, to, to that you're taking attendance for. This is a time where we're setting aside, Lord, to hear directly from you, your Holy Spirit. God, to connect with you in a, in a congregational way, Lord. This is what heaven will be like one day. We'll come together as a, a group of people. We will sing your praises. We will honor and praise you. And how awesome it will be to hear Jesus himself speak your word. Lord, will you speak to us now? Will you change our lives? We give ourselves over to you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Imagine with me that, uh, that you are going to perform a, a brain surgery. You're a brain surgeon. Now, some of you are like, that's really a far stretch. Just, just follow me with this. You just, just come with me on this little journey. But you're getting ready to perform a surgery on somebody's brain that has a tumor in the frontal lobe, and you're the man, you're the woman who is going to perform this surgery. And you have, the, the patient is on the table, the anesthesia has been injected, they're asleep. You have scrubbed up and you are, you are gowned and capped. And you look over and you see these, a group of people. You have these nurses and these other doctors that are all eyes on you, waiting for you to instruct them on what exactly they're supposed to do, what you need. This is one of those moments in life that you have spent countless hours studying for. You've performed multiple surgeries just like this, and yet, no matter how many hours that you have 
studied for this or how many surgeries you have performed just like this, you don't take this lightly because somebody's life is on the line. Every incision you make needs to be done with precision if you're going to be successful in this surgery. No pressure, right? Wrong. Lots of pressure. There's a ton of pressure to get this right because if you don't, you could damage this person forever. This is sort of the picture that Paul is painting to us in our text this morning relating to the Christian in the Word of God. We are to rightly handle the Word of Truth. That's the title of my sermon this morning. The phrase rightly handle in, in the Greek is the word orthotomeo. It's a compound Greek word. The first part of it, orthos, means right, and the, the back half of the word tomeo means to cut straight. Hence the reason why the New King James, the King James versions, they translate it rightly divide rather than rightly handle. We as God's spokespeople must rightly handle the word of truth. It's of utmost importance. Not just for the pastor, but for every Christian because people's lives are on the line and what you say and how you handle the truth could be incredibly damaging or incredibly healing to the person that you're talking to. No pressure, right? Wrong. Not really any pressure in terms of, uh, you know, we have the Holy Spirit in front of us, but there is a seriousness when it comes to God's Word and how we use it. And that's really what Paul wants to get across to us this morning. Is that we don't just flippantly quote the Bible when it works for our the opinion we're trying to share or supporting some context or something that we're trying to say to somebody, but we're going to quote a verse to support that because that's going to bring some authority into our opinion. That is not rightly handling the word of truth. You know, when Jesus spoke the word, he spoke the word for the purpose of penetrating the hardness of heart to get through to connect with someone so that their life would be changed. He never did it to damage them, even though the Pharisees, I probably would have done that. I probably would have tried to find ways to jab them because they were constantly jabbing at Jesus, weren't they? Yet he never did that. He always rightly handled the word of truth. That's our example. That's what we're supposed to do. Rightly handle the word if we don't cut the Word of God straight, then we can potentially give someone a false sense of security about their salvation, telling them what, what they do doesn't matter, or we could actually create a barrier that makes them feel like there's no way they could ever be saved in the way that we handle the Word of truth. The truth of uh, the truth is, is what we, the truth of what we do makes, well, I don't know what I'm saying here, but <laughs> my, my notes don't make sense. But here's the reality. This is what James said about this whole situation. You know, how do you use the word? How do you use the word in that context? 
when you're talking to somebody about their salvation. You don't want to give them security if, if you're unsure about where they are. But you also don't want to set up a barrier that would make them feel like there's no way they could hurdle that. Right? And here's what James says about that matter. James chapter 2, verses 18 through 26. But some of you will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, the faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. When you're talking to somebody about their salvation, they're saying, well, it doesn't really matter what I do, but it does. Or if they're saying, it's, every, it's all about what I do, no, it's not. And so we use the word of God in a way to bring clarity to somebody's heart. And this is so clear about about faith and works and how they associate with one another. You know, the reality of it is, is it takes faith to get saved. Your faith is sealed or it is revealed in your works. You can say you have faith, but if you have no works, your faith isn't real. That's what James is saying. And so, you know, in our culture, in cultural Christianity in Middle Tennessee... This is one of these things that we have to really rightly handle the word of truth. You know, we want people, we care about people. Sometimes we're, we, we care more about being theologically right, which is not the heart of God. The heart of God is to rightly handle the truth for the sake of the hearer, that they would be transformed and changed. And so this is really what Paul is trying to get to here. We have to, be, we have to rightly handle the word of truth. When we share it with people, we need to use it accurately and with precision. I stated last week, if you were with us, that the, the purpose of our existence once we become believers is to be the messengers of God to lost people. And uh, that, that is our, that's our purpose. That's why we exist. There's really no other reason to be here. Your purpose is to be God's messenger, to take his word in to the world. Now, you don't get to pick the message. The message is already given to you. You're a messenger. You're simply delivering that which what God has given to you. But Paul uses the word to Timothy over and over again, the word that you've been entrusted. As a messenger of God, you've been entrusted a certain message, a specific message, a gospel message, a life-changing message, and you must deliver it exactly the way that God set it out. You know, we, we talk about in our world today about watered-down gospel. There's all kinds of different gospels. And in fact, Paul said, don't believe in other gospel. 
We need to bring the full gospel, the real gospel, the word that God had entrusted us with. And we need to be able to explain it to people. That means we need to know it. That means we need to study it. It's hard work. It's hard work to be a Christian because you need to know what you're talking about. And I'm afraid that there are many people that don't know what they're talking about because they haven't done their homework. They haven't done the, the, what, what, what Paul is talking about here in taking seriously the Word of God so that they can rightly cut it so it can be used to bring healing in people's lives. Not only does it require, you know, study on our behalf, it requires also spiritual discernment. You know why? Because the Bible is a spiritually discerned book. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are fully to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying because we have the Spirit of God in our lives, we have spiritual discernment. We have the ability to understand the Word of God, and then we have the ability to, to deliver it to other people. Some of us don't feel like we're gifted in, in dis discipling someone or, or gifted in teaching someone or gifted in sharing the, our faith with somebody, but I tell you, you are because you have the Spirit of God in you. You have the mind of Christ in you. And the mind of Christ concisely and precisely reads the Word of God and delivers it exactly the way it's supposed to be delivered. You have the ability to do it. But it does require work. You know, it's funny when we talk about our giftings because when I first became a Christian, I was trying to figure out how, what in the world am I, what does God want to do with me now that I'm saved? Like, what is my gifting? Anybody been there before? And you're like, well, I, I mean, I could just naturally gravitate towards um, the things that I'm good at. And I just go, oh, well, those are my giftings. No, they're not. They're not your spiritual giftings. They can be part of it. But I can tell you everything I do right here and right now is not natural to me. It's not something that just comes naturally. I just do it. It took a lot of cultivation. The gift of teaching. People just don't pop into a pulpit and start teaching. It's cultivated over time. And in fact, I, I'll show you. Go back and listen to my messages. Like seven years ago, you'd be like, really? How'd this guy even get here? What? <laughs> People kept showing up for this? Are you kidding me? You're probably still saying that. It's okay. But that, that's okay. But, but the point of it is, it takes work. And, and that work is, 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 you know, it's being cultivated in you as you give yourself over to it. So, this is exactly what Paul is saying here. Now, we have to rightly handle the word of truth. You know, the problem with many folks today is that they, they read the Bible eisegetically. Eisegetically. What do I mean? Eisegetically, it means to, it means to pour in to something, right? We're, we're eisegetically, we're pouring our own opinions into the word and making it say what it doesn't say. That's what it means to, uh, that's what, what eisegesis means, if you've ever heard that theological term. We're supposed to read the Bible exegetically, 
meaning we're to draw out the truth of the word. How do we rightly handle the word of God? We have to, we have to um, exegesis the word. We have to draw out of the passage what the writer is trying to say, not pour our, our own opinions into what it's saying. And a lot of times we do that. And in fact, that's taught in a lot of pulpits and a lot of things take, taken out of context as a result of that. When you read the Bible, your main objective is really what is the writer trying to say? What does he mean? How does that apply to me? That's called observation, interpretation, application. It's, it's the Bible methodology, how you read the Bible. It's one of the ways. It's the way that I do it. So, of course, that's the right... No, not really. There's a whole bunch of ways to do it, but, but observation, interpretation, application. Why am I telling you this? Because you're supposed to rightly divide the word. And if you don't use a method of study, if you don't use a thought process in the way that you do that, you will automatically start to... Um, eisegetically read the Word of God and inject your own thoughts into what it says. And you have to guard yourself against that because remember, we're messengers. We're called to draw out what it says and give it to other people. And uh, so, so, you know, those are two radically different ways to, to read the Bible. One is correct and one is not. So let me see if you know the difference. True or false? We should make the Bible say what we want it to say. True. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. That is, that is absolutely false. I know. Uh, and how about this? True or false? We should always let the Bible tell us what it means and not insert our ideas into the text. True, True right? The first is eisegetical. The second is ex exegetical. Listen, we should read the Bible exegetically using interpretive principles to keep every scripture in context to rightly handle the word of truth. Essentially, just make it plain and simple. Let the Bible say what it says and don't insert your own thoughts into it. Really simple. That's how you handle the word of truth. Paul is concerned about Timothy and Ephesus because there are false teachers there. And these false teachers have penetrated the church and they are presenting a false gospel. Again, I can draw your, you know, if you've been with us through 1 Timothy and part of 2 Timothy, you remember that Paul, Paul prophetically told the elders at Ephesus before he even was arrested on his, uh, you know, on his way to Jerusalem, the very first time he was arrested and sent to Rome in prison, he told them in Acts chapter 20 this was going to happen. He said, listen, wolves are going to come and they're going to try and devour. You guys make sure that you stay true to the word of God. The Holy Spirit gave him a word. And he, and he delivered that word specifically to these guys. And here they are in this situation. Paul's now instructing Timothy about how he, he must handle this situation. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to deal with these false teachers um, and, and their, their, their false doctrine because if you don't, the word is going to be tainted. You're going to miss that people, you're going to pass down something that isn't true. And you know how that goes. You have, you know, somebody tells you one thing and you're like, and you add a little bit to it, right? You're like, oh, and then they said this and that. And then the next thing you know, this person takes that and they add a little bit to it. Before you get maybe even two or three people down the road, the whole story's different. 
That's exactly what Paul says we have to avoid with the, with the apostles' doctrine, or i.e. the New Testament. Be careful with the word, Timothy. Make sure that you guard it. You're entrusted with it. Make sure that you, you keep it exactly the way that it's, it's been written. So these guys were, were coming in, and, and they were essentially, a lot of these guys were mixing Judaism with Christianity and saying Christ is fine, but you have to follow the law. Some of these guys, they had all their different kinds of thoughts. Now, in specific, what we're dealing with in this passage is people who um, have, are saying that, at, at the very least, their message is the resurrection has already happened. We're going to see that a little bit later in the passage where he says, these two specific teachers are telling people that the resurrection has already happened. You know why they're telling people that? Because they didn't rightly divide the word of God and their eschatology is all messed up. So they think they're in a millennial reign when they're not. The tribulation hasn't even happened yet. So you can imagine, as was the case with the, the church in Thessalonica, where they were freaking out over the same thing. They're thinking, how could the resurrection have happened already when our loved ones who we thought were saved aren't here? And the world is the way that it is. Isn't the millennial kingdom supposed to be a perfect kingdom? Jesus ruling and reigning physically on earth? If you read the Bible literally, yes. And that's exactly how you should read the Bible. You know, read it literally. When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense, right? <laughs> so that's, that's Pastor Chuck's little saying, you know. When the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense lest you make nonsense. You let the word of God say what it says. And, 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 and these guys, they were, they were just saying what they wanted to say. And it was gain, they were gaining some, some uh, popularity through that. So, Paul exhorts Timothy to defend the faith, to make sure that he preserves the truth so that um, as it's passed down, it doesn't get lost. Could you imagine? Where would we be today if that truth had made its way into the gospel and we were here today thinking, well, we're in the millennial kingdom, wouldn't we really think that it, it, it's not really look the same as what we thought the word of God would say it would look like? You think like, what in the world? I promise you, you probably wouldn't even be here. But it's because of people like Paul, like Timothy. You know, the saints down the line, all these pillars of the faith who have put their lives on the line to preserve and protect the word of God, who rightly handled it and passed it down to generation after generation after generation that we sit here today with the complete word of God on our laps that we're able to read an untainted and, and pure word that was given from God through man because these guys took it seriously. I hope you're thankful for that this morning. Paul is telling Timothy, this is the start of it. And, you know, he's writing a letter to Timothy. He thinks it's a letter. It's actually the New Testament. He's saying, Timothy, I need you to understand these things. And here we are today talking about it because Timothy took it serious and he rightly divided the word. So what is our response? The word of God has been, it's been canonized. It's, it's, it's complete, 66 books. What is our responsibility? Because we're not protecting and preserving the word in, in, in the same sense they were because it wasn't written down, canonized, and handed out, out to us. Here's the word of God. You know what your, your, your responsibility is? to rightly divide it. 
to make sure you know it so that you can pass it on to other people. That's our responsibility as last day's saints, that we take the word of God, we, we do our best with it, as we'll see, and then we deliver it over to other people. There's four things that we find in our text regarding rightly handling the word of truth that I want to share with you. First, rightly handling the word of truth means reminding people of it often. Paul says in verse 14, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. You ever notice how repetitive the Bible is? It's incredibly repetitive, isn't it? I'm reading through um, Ezekiel right now, and I'm like, dude, I mean, he keeps saying the same thing over and over again. Children of Israel, you're idiots. You went, you know, you went, across, you went astray. You did all these things, and, and I'm going to judge you for it. Over and chapter after chapter, chapter after chapter. Why? Because <laughs> they're stupid? Is that what you said? Oh, because we're stupid. Oh, yeah. Well, well there's that. But uh, it's because not even so much that we're forgetful, Oftentimes, it's we willfully, we're disobedient. That's the problem. The problem is disobedience. The children of Israel knew not to, to worship in high places. They knew not to have idols and all these things, but they did it anyway. Did they need reminded of the law? No. They needed to be obedient to the law. There's a difference. God tells us over, we're like, we're like um, God's toddlers, Right? And he has to tell us the same thing over. Don't do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. You know, be, be, and, and, and sadly, we don't listen. And so he reminds us over and over about the basic truths. And then we get, then we get bored with the word. And we're like, oh, it's so repetitive. I don't... I already get this. I want to hear a new sermon. I want to hear, I want to hear some new truths. I want to hear it in a different way. And we long for God to tickle our intellectual, uh, you know, antennas. And we want God to touch us in a new intellectual way to entertain our brain. And yet we're still as disobedient in our heart as we were in the very beginning. But God, tickle my brain because I want to hear something new. Uh, Harry Ironside, if it's new, it ain't true. And if it's true, it ain't new. Repetitiveness, remind them of these things. Who's the them? The them is the believers in Ephesus, the pastors, yes, but also the whole congregation. Remind them of what? Of these things. What things? The things that he just said in verses 1 through 13, there are, um, they, they were the, the present active imperatives, remember? Remind them, in verse 1, to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, to entrust to faithful men who are able to teach the gospel, verse 2. Uh, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, verse 3. Think over what I say, verse 7. And last week, we talked about this one, remember Jesus Christ. That was in verse 8. Timothy is to continually remind every believer of these things so that they can uh, remember to apply them in their lives so that they can open up their disobedient hearts to the truth and receive what God is saying for them. 
Someone who rightly handles the word of truth will seem repetitive, but that is only because God is a God who reminds us over and over and over again. This again is a command by Paul to Timothy that he remind them over and over again, continually. Rightly handling the word of truth means reminding people of it often. And secondly, it means keeping the main thing the main thing. Look at verse 14, the last part of that verse. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearer. The word charge here, it, it, it's, it's another command, but it's a very strong command. It's a stern warning to the believers in Ephesus before God. Sternly warn them, Timothy. Sternly warn them before man. No, before God. It's, there's kind of a double, a double meaning in this, before God. Number one is he's reminding Timothy who he's before when he delivers the message, but he's also reminding the hearer who they're before. This is accountability that, that Paul is bringing into both the messenger and the hearer. Here he's saying, as the messenger of God, you're before God. He sees what you're doing. He hears what you're doing. You better rightly handle his word. To the hearer, he's saying, you're hearing the truth. You, you know what it says. You need to apply it in your life, receive it in your life, and do what it says. You know, it's been said that the more we hear the word of God, the more accountable we are to God. And that's the truth. The more you know, the more God is going to, you're going to answer the Lord for. And so maybe you've been a Christian all your life and you've heard sermon after sermon after sermon. Guess what? You're accountable for those words. And every person who stands and delivers a message from God or stands and delivers a message is also before God. And every word that I say or every word that anyone says that, that's delivering the message will also be accountable to God. We better be careful about what we say and we better be diligent about what we hear and we better apply it to our lives. That's the point. That's what he's saying. We're before, before God. Paul told the, the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, 22, the same time he was reminding them about or telling them about the, the wolves coming into this church and all that, he said in verse 22, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. They were responsible for the whole counsel of God. He gave them the whole word of God. And so they couldn't say, well, I didn't know that was in there. You heard it. I, I delivered to you the whole counsel of God. Uh, why is this important? Why is Paul charging Timothy um, to, to do this? What, what is he charging them, them to do? He's warning Christians in Ephesus not to quarrel about words. That's interesting. In the New King James, it translates not to strive about words to no profit, or the New American Standard says not to wrangle about words. The idea behind quarreling, striving, wrangling is to wage a war with words. It's to wage a war with words. It's not to bring understanding. It's to wage a war. And so he's addressing this, this situation that is in, in Ephesus there as a result of false teachers. But it's not only because of false teachers. 
False teachers are quarreling over words, but so are Christians. Here's what's interesting about what he's saying here is that the context, yes, is, is false teachers. But the them, if we interpret the them right above this as them, the believers in Ephesus, then that this them is also that them. So is he talking to the church? Perhaps he is. I think he is. What is he saying? Don't you dare quarrel over words. Where are you hearing these words from false teachers? And you adopted their false teaching, and now you're quarreling over words. This is so interesting to me because do you know why we have denomination after denomination and all these different ideas of theology and all this stuff? Because we quarrel over words. You know, there's one church, and we say it all the time, oh, we're all one church, and, you know, if you're Baptist or Pentecostal or this or that, it's okay, you know, because we're all one church. That's not the Lord, by the way. He didn't create those denominations. Man did. Why did man create those denominations? Because we quarreled about words. It, the, all of those um, denominations and all that kind of stuff are, man, are, are created to, to um, communicate a specific theology. You know that? It's a quarreling of words. Is that God's intention for us? No. Do you know in the early church that there was one church? There wasn't Baptist people and Methodist people and Nazarenes and, and Baptist and I probably said that, Pentecostal. You know, there wasn't any of that. There was no, not even non-denominational. It was called the way. You were part of the way. You were part of just one movement. And we try and make ourselves feel better about what we've done with this and say, oh, we're all God's, you know, we're all the church. We're not, actually. We're divided. We continue to quarrel about words. And until Christians actually make this a mandate in their lives that I will not quarrel about words, this will continue. And it's not God's best for us. Is he using it? Yeah, he'll use it. And a lot of times we explain it like, well, you know, we're all different people. And, you know, some of you guys like this. And some of you guys like the more jazzy stuff. So you go to the Pentecostal thing. You know, you get, you, get, you get all this. You get to be a little bit more outward in these this situations. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. Right? That's making excuses. The reality of it is, is that they, uh, people don't take this seriously about quarreling about words. God is not pleased when his kids fight over what his word says. Who is behind all of that? Wait a second. You and I are arguing about God's word? We're arguing about what, what, you know, why? Because we're eisegetically reading the passage and we're saying this is what I want it to mean. Well, no, this is what, that, that's man's doctrine. Here's a rule of thumb. When the Bible says something, leave it at that. If the Bible says you're predestined, guess what? You're predestined. Do I have to understand that? No. Do I have to read into that and understand all of the ramifications? Well, that means that this and that means that that. Listen, you'll have your day with God one day and you can ask him all of those questions. Do you think a finite mind is going to explain that to you? No, but we quarrel over words about it and we divide the church over these things. 
Man, this is serious. He's, he goes on to say, if you don't deal with this, it'll be gangrene in the church. Right? It's just going to poison the church, and the church will die. Gangrene gets into the cell tissues of your body and just kills them. And he's saying that's what this is like. How crazy is this? Adam Clark said, words, not things, have been a most fruitful source of contention in the Christian world and among religious people. The principal cause of animosity has arisen from the different manner of apprehending the same term, while in essence, both meant the same thing. We are notorious for splitting hairs. And although that's not totally the context of what Paul is saying here, that is the truth. What Paul is saying here is these are direct things that are totally contrary to the word that people are saying. We need to stand up for the truth. We need to, and, 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 and what, what that means is that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, it's not so much important about, about the, the semantics of salvation as it is about salvation itself, right? It doesn't really matter how you're saved, but that you're saved, right? We can talk all day long about man's, you know, God's um, sovereignty and man's responsibility, and we can talk about, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism, and we can talk about all these different things, but at the end of the day, the Word says what it says, and you can't change that. And you shouldn't want to. And so we should let it say what it says and be okay with not fully understanding that. But we're people that want to fully understand, and that's the issue. I think there's a scripture that says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. So far are my thoughts from your thoughts, and so far are my ways from your ways. Man, Hey, listen, here, here's the reality is we have to be careful about this because Paul goes on to say this does no good but only ruins the hearers. That word ruin right there is the word catastrophia in the Greek. It's where we get our English word catastrophe. MacArthur says the Greek word has the basic idea of being overturned or overthrown. In this context, it carries the more explicit connotation of being spiritually ruined. What is he saying? There are people in our midst that profess faith, that aren't saved, but profess it. Then they hear these things, and they're spiritually ruined by them. So they turn, they're overturned in their heart over the truth. Why? Because they hear the things that Christians say to each other. You're accountable for that. Be careful with that. And also, as a false teacher, you're accountable for that. People passing on false doctrine. People, you know, making up things so that they can get more money or whatever it is. You know, hey, just uh, mail me in a check and I'll send you this handkerchief that I prayed over and you can use it to heal your grandma or whatever the case is, you know, all these kinds of things. When people, when people in general, and also Christians, when, when, when people hear Christians arguing about man-made doctrines and, and things that really at the end of the day aren't 
extremely important, they're turned off to the gospel and they become spiritually ruined. It creates catastrophe upon them. It doesn't build them up and bring clarity, but rather it tears down and causes confusion. And I can tell you that every argument, spiritual argument I've ever been in has yielded nothing but pride from me. And can you, you know, and me dissecting the conversation later, wow, I should have said this and I should have said that. Who is that about? Is that about God? No. It's about us and how smart we sound. You're crazy. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? We can, we can figure out all this other stuff later. We could figure out, you know, we're going to teach certain doctrines the way that we see it, and if you don't see it that way, that's fine. We're, we don't have to divide over it. You don't believe in pre-trib rapture? That's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly convinced in that, but I'm not going to argue with you about it because you know what? At the end of the day, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> I mean, you'll either be left here or you won't be, and if you're left here and I'm not left here, then you'll know I was right. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but... But, you know, all these different things, man. Keep the main thing the main thing. The main conversation, the main conversation amongst us is Christ and Him crucified. It's about being laser-focused with the gospel. Yeah, but that's boring. I want something new. I want something more. That sounds like intellectual assent. Because the heart of God is for his son to be seen. The heart of God is for his son to be adored because he was crucified on a cross for our sins. We will declare that message for Jesus will bear the wounds of the cross for all of eternity. That will be the message. Why does the message need to change today? He's going to bear those wounds the rest of his life. If you can ever get over the cross, Come talk to me. I'd love to hear what you think you know. Because there's the, as the song says, I'll never know the cost that he paid upon the cross. I'll never understand what he's done for me. But I want to try. And I want to think deep about Jesus Christ crucified for me. So keep the main thing the main thing. You want to rightly handle the word of truth. Keep the main thing the main thing. And also... Keep, uh, rightly handling the word of truth means being approved and unashamed before God. Look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as, un, as approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The command to Paul, from Paul to Timothy here is do your best. Do your best. You know, that's something you have to ask yourself. Am I really doing my best when it, when it comes to to knowing God's word and rightly handling God's word? Have I given, given it my all? Have I put my best foot forward? Am I being diligent? Am I working hard? Am I being persistent to present myself to God as approved? Am I doing that? Notice the goal. Not to present yourself to man as approved, but to present yourself to God as approved. There is such a huge temptation for us to live for man and to seek the approval of man. Paul said to the church in Galatia, for 
am I now, in verse, chapter 1, verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's the truth. If you want to please man, probably don't need to be here. Probably need to be out there pleasing man. But you know, when you gave your heart to the Lord, your, your aim, remember we talked about that? Your aim is to please him. Your aim is to present yourself approved before him. We are to do our best to do this. We, uh, to present ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Have you ever thought about what it's going to be like when you stand before God one day? You, you, seriously, you ever think about that? Dude, I used to ponder that all the time. I would just be like, man, I'm going to be so ashamed. I'm going to be so embarrassed. All these things, Lord. I mean, I mean my whole life is going to be before you and all the things that I've done, Lord. Do you know that's not a biblical thinking? Do you know that everything that you've done was pinned to the cross? Do you know your sins are not going to be brought up before you when you stand before God? For the Christian, standing before God has something totally different to do with than for the unbeliever who will stand before God and their life, their sin, everything about them will be presented before the Lord and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. But for the believer, your sins are paid for. God's good. You're going to go to God, remember when I did that? And he goes, no, I don't. When did you do that? Man, when did you do that? No. He's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. You did that? I didn't know. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about because he casts our, far, our sins as far as east is from the west and he remembers them no more. Your sins, past, present, and future were dealt with on the cross. Everything that you've done that is unpleasing to God in that sense that would keep you away from God has been dealt with. He ain't going to bring that up. But you will have the potential to be, unashamed, or to be ashamed before him. And it has everything to do with what you did with your life after you became a Christian. And it has to do with did, did you live your life for the Lord? Did you serve the Lord? There's, there's a judgment for Christians. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment. It's where God judges your works. Where he's not going to bring your sin before you, but he will bring your works before you or the lack thereof. And he will present that before you. And he'll say, what did you do with the, how many years were you saved? Uh, okay, what did you do with that 34 years that I gave you? Let's see what the work, and, and he's going to, and, and Paul describes it for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm not going to read it, but read it later. He's going to say, you know, what did you build upon the foundation of Christ? And what kind of materials did you use? Speaking about your motives. And did you live for the Lord or did you not live for the Lord? And if you did, we're going to put your works through the furnace and whatever was pure and whatever was done for me um, will result in some sort of a treasure, a jewel. And if it survives the fire, then it was pure. But if it don't, if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to burn up. In other words, like if I'm doing this to be seen by you, I get no reward for it. You know, we're, 
we need to do things because we love God and because we care about what He thinks. And He's going to judge our motives. The, and, and so the only opportunity for you to be, to be ashamed before the Lord will, have, will be directly as a result of the works that you present before Him when you die. What did you do with your life? I love Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. It says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. He sees that. He sees everything that you do. Behind closed doors, praying for people. He sees everything that you do. And it pleases Him, man, when you are, when you're, when you're living for Him and you're not sucked into this world, when your aim is to present yourself approved to Him, you will never ever have to worry about being ashamed if you're doing that. And notice the other side of that is if, you're, if you are doing that, if you're living for the Lord and, um, and, and you're presenting yourself, you're doing your best, then you're going to rightly handle the word of truth. It's a result of making him the primary thing of your life, of making him your aim. Do your best to present yourself before God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do you know that um, Awana gets their name from this passage? It stands for a workman. Workmen are not, uh, approved workmen are not ashamed. Approved workmen are not ashamed. You know, Awana is a total scriptural, um, you know, ministry all the way down to the name. I love that. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Your kids are learning scripture because they understand this passage. And they want to rightly divide the word of truth. This brings us to our final point here. Rightly handling the word, the word of truth means calling out heretics and heresy. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hyamanus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the fate of some. Again, we start with a solemn command by Paul. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more ungodliness. Listen, the more conversation, in, the, more, the more, more false information that we allow into our brain, the more opportunity we have to be deceived. Do you know that? Hey, you want to be deceived? Flip on TBN and just watch that over and over again, and you will be deceived. You know, you want to be deceived, just flip on somebody who teaches about how great they are and how lucky God is to have them on his team. And you will be deceived. You know, turn on the person who tells you that you can, that, 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 you, know, you can have your best, best life now in these kinds of things. That, that you know, this, this launch pad preaching that doesn't rightly handle the word of truth but throws a scripture in every once in a while totally out of context, right? The, the point is here is we do, we're to avoid these things. We're not to seek them out, but we're to avoid these things. We're to avoid irreverent babble, literally worldly, foolish 
talk. Rather, what, what Paul does here is he calls out by name the people who are responsible for these. Now, a lot of Christians have a big problem when, when pastors call out other pastors and say they're teaching false doctrine. Listen, here, here's the reality is that the, 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 the responsibility of the pastor is to shepherd the sheep. Under shepherd, of course, Jesus the great shepherd. But his responsibility is to warn. Paul's telling Timothy to warn. And sometimes you have to call people out by name. You have to warn people about these things. And if you have a problem with that, you could take it up with the Holy Spirit. Because he calls two people out right here. And you know what? Their names will forever be written in the Word of God. Forever and ever and ever. Man, not something I want to be remembered for. What is their deal? They swerved from the truth. They swerved from the truth. They, they were in the truth and they swerved from the truth. They never fully committed themselves. As First John said, they went out from, uh, from us because they were never really of us. If they would have been of us, they wouldn't have went out from us. In other words, they weren't really saved. They swerved from the truth. They said, oh, I, don't, I, I see a different path for this whole Christianity thing. And I think it hurts Paul's heart. I think that when the pastor calls somebody out, I think, I think if you're doing it to elevate yourself, then obviously that's the wrong reason. But if you're doing it to warn the people, that's a whole different story. Paul's doing it because he wants to warn these guys. I think some people do it because they want to elevate themselves. They have upset the faith of some again. It means that they, they were not really true believers. They have overturned themselves. They never really were fully committed to Christ in the first place. If you rightly handle the truth, Christian, you'll never have to worry about this stuff. Never have to worry about saying anything incorrect. You won't have to worry about, you know, being a false teacher. You won't have to worry about hearing false teaching because you know the word. The, the, the word is your shield. It's your sword. It's your guide. And God has given it to us, uh, number one, to help us grow in him, to help us to know him, but also so that we can deliver his message accurately and precisely. You are, in a sense, a surgeon when you come before the Bible and you are called to be precise with it. If you're not precise with it, you can mess it up. So, be precise with it. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for just the um, exhortation, Lord, to really be considerate of your word and how we use it in our lives. And we pray, Father, that you would help each one of us today to, to take the, the charge that Paul has given Timothy here. And that we would fully commit ourselves to study, to show ourselves approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, Lord, but rightly handles your word of truth. And uh, we just ask you, Father, to come by your spirit and um, give us a hunger, Lord. Give us a, a desire to 
to want to know deeply your word, not just on the surface level, but to study it, to know it. It's our breath of life. It's active and alive, and it speaks right into our lives. So we just ask you, Father, tonight, this morning, Lord, to to draw our hearts to yourself. Give us a new passion. Give us a new understanding. If we haven't been taking your word seriously, Lord, forgive us and help us this morning to, to just really fully commit ourselves to be people who will study your word so that we can give it out to people accurately and precisely. We thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for each and every person being here. And we, we thank you most of all for your Holy Spirit, Lord, who speaks so truthfully to us. Not because you want to hurt us, but because you want to heal us. You want to grow us. And so we ask you just as we close in this song, Lord, to just draw our hearts to yourself and, and just help us to, to just have this moment with you, Lord, to, to deal with whatever it is that we need to deal with. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.